let us continue looking at the man at the pool of Bethesda that was healed by Jesus. We're looking at encounters with Jesus in the Gospel of John. And what is interesting is there's more, not about the miracle, but about the repercussions of this miracle. And we do seek on a Sunday morning to bring the Gospel. And yet, I wouldn't be a true servant of God if we didn't this morning deal with the controversy that arose because this man was healed on the Sabbath. Now, I'm preaching the gospel to the people you in front of me. And whether we like it or not, uh, the issue of the Sunday is something that the world doesn't care much about. But for us, it can be a hot potato. So even though it's a gospel service, I will bring the gospel in. Uh, we've really got to consider this whole question of was Jesus wrong to heal a man on the Sabbath day? Uh, the uh, phrase that is used to describe the religious leaders here is the Jews. But actually, John is referring to the leaders, especially the Pharisees and the scribes, the members of the Sanhedrin, the religious council. And they were not just miffed that this man was healed on the Sabbath. They used this against the Lord Jesus. And when Jesus defends what he has done, he doesn't deal really with the Sabbath as the Lord of the Sabbath, that's who Jesus is. He doesn't do away with the Sabbath, interestingly, but he corrects the right view of the Sabbath. He's the Lord of the Sabbath, and he says, me and my Father are equal. And as a result of that, the religious leaders now decide to do away with Jesus. So this miracle is the catalyst for the religious leaders to plot to crucify Jesus Christ. So all I want to do this morning is look first at the twisted view that the religious leaders had of the Sabbath. And then we'll look at what the Lord of the Sabbath has to say about this wonderful provision. False, true. Now, what, what was wrong with uh, the religious leaders' view of the Sabbath? Well, they saw the man. Uh, he was miraculously healed. He immediately got up on his feet, something he hadn't done for 38 years. And he rolled up his bed, his mat, and he walked away. And then he hears a voice, what are you doing? Uh, when I was a pupil uh, in the same school as Geraint Seymour, uh, we had a caretaker who would always say to us, boys, where are you going? Now, this is what the religious leaders are saying to this man. He's just experienced a wonderful miracle. And all they can say to him is, you're not allowed to pick up your bed. It's the Sabbath. Interestingly, in the original, uh, the uh, order of the words is the Sabbath it is, like Yoda. 
speaking. The Sabbath it is. You can imagine, can't you, the religious leaders, these dry uh, people speaking in that way. The Sabbath it is. Jesus hadn't broken the Sabbath. We know, don't we, in the Ten Commandments, God gave the fourth command. I'll read out what he said. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day, it is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. It's a special day. It's a day to set apart as holy to the Lord. There was no mention about not picking up your bed or not rolling your mat. This was an extra rule that the Pharisees had made. Interestingly, they had added 38 rules to the fourth command. And Nathan is studying Hebrew. And in the study of Hebrew, the exceptions to the rule are more than the rules. And when it came to these 38 extra rules to do with one command, remember, uh, there were exceptions and sub-clauses and so it was a minefield. Uh, I, I've done some research here. Uh, let me mention some of them. This is not God now, right? This is man-made rules. Jesus isn't doing the, away with the Sabbath in the New Testament. Never did he do away with it. But what he's trying to do is correct this wrong view of it. So here are some of the extra rules. Looking in a mirror was forbidden. Why? Because when you get to a certain age, when you look in the mirror, you see some grey hair. And what you try to do at first, although with the progress of the years it becomes utterly futile, you try to remove the piece of grey hair. That's work. So this is really the case now, you were not allowed to look in the mirror. I've got a handkerchief somewhere. You're not allowed on the Sabbath to carry a handkerchief. You're allowed to wear a handkerchief. So what the religious leaders did, they found all these ways around. It was very complicated. If you had your handkerchief upstairs and you wanted to take it downstairs, you'd be breaking the Sabbath, according to them, if you carried it down the stairs. So you had to tie it around your neck. You were allowed to wear it. And once you got downstairs, you untied it and you could carry it. You could spit on the Sabbath. Uh, in uh, some parts of the world, it is, it, it is the norm to spit. It's not viewed as... Uh, something uncouth. But you had to watch where you spit. If you spit on the dirt and then use your sandal to cover it up, you were working because you were plowing the earth. So how spiritual you were, according to the scribes and Pharisees, depending on where you spit. Now, this was all very sad and it was really just missing the whole point 
of the Sabbath. Kent Hughes puts it like this. The same Kent Hughes as we are studying in the men's breakfast. Good religious people were list keepers. 38. And all the nuances. And even worse, they were list givers. And the Pharisees, says Kent Hughes, were the champion list givers. Now, you may be sitting in your pew wondering, what's all this got to do with us? Well, it's got everything to do with us, not just with the Sunday, because there may be some people here who have lists uh, for the keeping of the Sunday. And there's nothing wrong with having your own particular convictions, even habits. Uh, You may have all sorts of lists to do with other areas where the Bible isn't clear, but we still have our particular rules. Now, you may be wondering, what's wrong with that? If it helps me worship God, if it helps me follow Jesus Christ, uh, then what's wrong with, for example, not drinking alcohol or what used to be a list? It's not as much today, is it? Not going to the cinema? Are there still people here who feel strongly about that? not going to a pub, uh, not doing something on a Sunday. Uh, We uh, heard of some people uh, who, uh, what was the example Lloyd-Jones gave a man who uh, would wear his shoes to bed on the Saturday nights so he wouldn't have to put them on on a Sunday. That's a true story. Now, Now, what's wrong with these lists? What's wrong with the Pharisees? warped view of the Sabbath? Well, let me just give you a few reasons before we look at Jesus's teaching. The first is the letter is more important to them than the spirits. The letter of the law is more important. It's interesting, isn't it? The Pharisees had hundreds of extra rules. God gave 10 commandments. I know then in the five books of Moses, those five uh, on the one table and the five on the next table are developed, but ten. When Jesus comes, he summarizes the Ten Commandments into two. It gets harder, you see. The more simple it is, the more challenging it is. And it's not the letter, the outward keeping of the Ten Commandments that God is interested in. It's the Spirit, the heart. So we know, don't we, what Jesus said in summarizing the two tables of the Ten Commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. These religious leaders weren't doing that. They were planning to kill God, Jesus Christ. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. They weren't showing any kindness to this poor man that had just been healed. There was a harshness there. There was no compassion. They were actually breaking the commands. How tragic. How tragic. And then there's something else that's wrong. Not just the letter, more important than the spirit. Our traditions, our rules, become more important than what God has said. Now, initially, it doesn't start like that, does it? We have our rules in order to protect, to hedge around what God has said in his word. 
But with time, this always happens. Uh, you may have godly people, maybe people converted in a time of great blessing, and for them, not drinking alcohol, not going to the pub, would have arose from their desire to walk closer with the Lord. But with time, that tradition becomes set in stone and it becomes even more important than what God has commanded. Jesus summed it up, didn't he, when he said of the Pharisees, you annul the word of God with your own traditions. Uh, we did this in Bible doctrines. Bible doctrines is not dry as dust theology. It's for life, you remember, sola, scriptura. The scripture alone is our authority. It doesn't matter what extra rules we make. We cannot make them an authority. It's abusive to do that. We can have our own particular rules, but what God has revealed here, our consciences are bound to. Nothing else. Scripture alone. And then there's something else. Interestingly on that, all these 38 rules with all their sub-clauses and exceptions, only the Pharisees knew. So people would be breaking them all the time and being judged for it. Whereas the Pharisees, they had such an intricate knowledge of them that they could use their casuistry to get around everything. Isn't that a horrible attitude to have? That's why Jesus condemned them in no uncertain terms because they were putting burdens on the people, and they themselves weren't willing to carry those burdens. And then the most important thing, why this is wrong, they were trying to justify themselves by their own works rather than believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Justification by faith. Uh, this is how one commentator put it. Why all this viciousness? He asks... Why this desire to destroy the meek and lowly Jesus? Why this murderous attempt to do away with God? The answer is in this Sabbath controversy. They wanted rules. They did not want God's grace. They wanted merit, their own merit, not another's merits. They did not want the simplicity of divine pardon they wanted to do something for themselves. That's what it comes down to. It's the religion of Cain and not of Abel. Cain trying to make himself acceptable before God. Abel doing what God had revealed, depending on the sacrifice of another. There's always this, I can only describe it as vehement hatred. Do you remember those of you who were around in the 1970s? Do you remember the liberal, not the politically liberal now, but the theological liberal people and the hatred they showed towards Mr. Hyam because he preached the gospel? This, this is what we've got in the religious leaders. Do you, do you try to justify yourself by your own works? It's our danger as people who call ourselves religious, are you trying to make yourself acceptable to God? 
Or have you abandoned that and you're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ alone? I did A-level maths. So I think I'll get this right. Zero. Do you know what zero means? It means nothing. Zilch. Dimbeed in Welsh. What happens if you multiply zero with zero? What do you get? Zero. What happens if you add zero to zero? What do you get? Zero. Can you take away zero from zero? Well, not really, because there's nothing to take away from. Can you divide zero with zero? No, you can't, because you've still got zero. Nothing. Listen to Top Lady. Nothing in my hands I bring. Zilch. Zero. Simply to thy cross I cling. I said I'd bring the gospel in. Naked. Got nothing. All I've got are filthy rags. My righteousnesses, that is, are filthy rags. Come to thee for dress. I need your robe of righteousness, Jesus. Helpless. I can't save myself. I can't even lift my little finger. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Saviour, or I die. There's no other way. Jesus must live the perfect life for me, and he must die, take upon himself the punishments for my sins, and praise be to God, he's done it. So that, that's what the Pharisees really got completely wrong. Now then, let's look at the right view of the Sabbath. What does the Lord of the Sabbath have to say? Not man-made extra rules, but this life of Jesus Christ, this gift of eternal life. What is the Sabbath? Do you know what the meaning of Sabbath is? When I had a sabbatical, that comes from Sabbath, people were asking me, what are you going to do? I said, nothing. I'm going to rest. Well, I didn't lay in bed for three months. I did do things, but they were different things. But Sabbath is rest. So when Nathan spoke about God creating us male and female, and then I added marriage then was created by God as an ordinance for all mankind, at the same time, God gave another creation ordinance, rest. After God had created the universe in six days, on the seventh day, he rested, and he blessed the seventh day as a day of rest. I'm constantly amazed at our God that he commands us to rest. What a good God that we've got. Now, the Pharisees had taken God's gift to humanity and had transformed it into a prison house of regulations and restrictions. They were not keeping the day of rest. But Jesus here, this is what I want to do, in giving the right view of the Sabbath, doesn't talk about rest, does he? What does he say? My father has been working, verse 17, until now, and I have been working. Jesus is talking about his father's work on the day of rest. 
Jesus is saying, look, that man I've just healed, I was working salvation. Did, did you get, I was going to start the meeting with these verses, but then the Lord gave me another verse. But did you get the beginning of the Ten Commandments? Those of you who learned the Ten Commandments off by heart, God didn't give his Ten Commandments initially to all mankind. He gave them to his redeemed people, his saved people. God says in Exodus, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. God is saying, I've saved you from Egyptian bondage. Now then, you are to rest on the seventh day, not just as a creation ordinance, but to celebrate my work of redeeming you. That's why God has given to his people a day of rest, a day to celebrate the fact that we don't save ourselves, that Jesus Christ is the one who gives us rest. I'm sure I'm not going to imagine this, but think of these poor people, the common people that had been burdened by the rules and the regulations of the religious leaders. Imagine being overwhelmed, hearing the Messiah say, Come unto me, all who are burdened, weary, and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And like the religious leaders, I am meek and lowly of hearts. It's not easy believism. It's obeying, but obeying God's word. Take my yoke upon you, and you shall find rest for your souls. This is why God had given one day for his people so that they could remember not just the fact that God rested from his work of creation on the seventh day, but that God had redeemed them from bondage. And can you understand now why we're not celebrating the Saturday, but the first day of the week? Because when Jesus came 2,000 years ago, the God-man, God became one of us in order to work for your salvation and mine, and he completed the work, and on the first day of the week, he rose from the grave, victorious over sin, death, hell, Satan, and the church just automatically changed it to the first day of the week. The seventh day was looking at the old creation and even in Exodus celebrating the deliverance from Egypt. It was shadow. Now the substance has come. Jesus is inaugurating the new creation and it was on the first day of the week that he rose and symbolically then, he, when he cried it is finished, had already defeated our enemies but the symbolism, and I'm not saying it's just symbolism, right? I'm saying it's real. But the fact that on the first day of the week, the stone was removed, the grave was empty, that was a powerful, powerful statement. Now, let, let me just give you some facts, and then we'll come to an end, and we'll come to the Lord's table. The Lord's day 
is Resurrection Sunday. I don't think we should wait till Easter to celebrate the resurrection. We're singing hymns of victory this morning because today is Resurrection Day. Hallelujah. This is why we're happy coming to church. We're celebrating our risen Saviour. Thine be the glory, risen, conquering Son. Endless is the victory thou or death hast won. On the same day, Jesus ascended. We've got a risen Saviour at the Father's right hand who is working. He's been working for the last 2,000 years. 2,000 years of Christ's power. May he work today in somebody's hearts. Is he calling you? Have you heard the voice of Jesus, not my voice? Softly pleading with your heart. He's not like the religious leaders. He woos. Come unto me. Have you come? On the Sunday, what happened? He appeared to his disciples. It was Sunday. Because they met together on the Sunday. And Jesus appeared to them. Isn't that what we pray for? Those of you who are praying in the lecture room. Is it the lecture room? At the start of the service. You're praying that the Lord would visit us by his spirits. That's what we spend the week of prayer doing. That would be a red letter Sunday for me. It's a wonderful day anyway. But it's possible to be in the spirits on the Lord's day. Even John in in Revelation, he was in exile. So he was in prison. But his heart wasn't in prison. His heart was free because he was in the spirits on the Lord's day. May, may we have red letter Sundays. On Sunday, Jesus gave the great commission to his disciples before he ascended. We're looking at being a lifeboat station, at taking the gospel out. On a Sunday, Jesus gave that wonderful commission. On a Sunday, the Holy Spirit came down. It was the day of Pentecost, but it was a Sunday. They were gathered together in the upper room. And what a Sunday that was. My brothers and sisters, I believe in God the Holy Spirit. Do you? When Spurgeon in the 19th century was climbing up the steps to the pulpit of the Metropolitan Tabernacle, and there were more steps than we've got, as he was going up each step, he would pray, I believe in God the Holy Ghost. I believe in God the Holy Spirit. So where do rules come in? It's a special day to rest from what we normally do in order to give to the things of God. The Puritans called it the market day of the soul. When I was a boy, I loved Christmas Day. It was a special day. I didn't do certain things on Christmas Day. And we did other things. Can we think of the Lord's Day in that way? It's not that we don't do things because we've been told we're not allowed to do them. It's because we've got something better to do. Aren't you glad not having to go to work today? 
I remember when I was first converted to be with other Christians, not religious people now, but be with people that had experienced the same grace of God as me. It didn't matter if they were another nationality, if they were of another age. The fact was we had something together, a camaraderie. And it's not just your normal camaraderie. If you go to a concert, there's a camaraderie between the people there. But there is another bond in the church that is even closer, the bond of the Holy Spirit. Can you remember not wanting to leave a service because God was speaking to you? I, I, I think we get bogged down with rules. Whatever helps you make this day special, do. Whatever hinders, don't do. Doesn't that make sense? <laughs> and may God bless today to some lost soul here. How many of you were converted on a Sunday? I was. Sunday afternoon. May today be somebody's spiritual birthday for the first time. And may we who know the Lord, may we not be like the scribes and the Pharisees. Do you, do you remember Mr. Hyam shared this with me once? Somebody came to him when God was blessing the church here and they had a complaint. They said, Mr. Hyam, I saw somebody come to church and afterwards they were lighting up outside. Don't you think that you should discourage such people from coming? We don't want sinners in the church, do we? Well, thankfully, Mr. Hyam didn't agree. <laughs> and neither do I. May we, if we have, we're all sinners, right? Many of us are saved sinners, but we don't look down upon anybody. There, but for the grace of God, go I. But I believe God is working amongst us. And if we have more people coming in, woe be to us if we become like the scribes and Pharisees and start looking down upon those people because they may be doing things, saying things, wearing things that may break, not God's word, but our little rules. Oh, to see the chaos that the Holy Spirit causes. Not us now. That's not what I'm thinking. But when God is at work, it's the problems of the nursery that you've got, isn't it? Aren't they better than the problems of the cemetery? Uh, may God bless today for us. Uh, this is the day that the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it, for his name's sake. Amen. Uh, let's sing before we come to the Lord's table. I can't remember what the hymn is. Oh, happy day. That, that's a good one, isn't it? This is how the man at Bethesda felt 
Oh, happy day that fixed my choice on thee, my Saviour, and my God. Carwin, it's good to have you back. Can we sing it to the chorus, please? It's 534.
Father in heaven, we can well imagine the man at the pool of Bethesda singing words such as that. And Lord, may we rest, O oh, rest, my long divided heart, on this center of bliss. Rest. And Father, uh, we thank thee for the saint's everlasting rest, for that eternal Sabbath uh, that Marjorie now is enjoying and that we one day will know as well. Uh, may we all know Jesus Christ as our blessed hope. Uh, in his name, amen.